Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 298. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy, Greg Godfrey of Tethered, to talk whitetail plans and announce the saddle giveaway winner. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I am stoked because this is the final podcast that I'll record, not ever, uh, only final podcast before my season officially kicks off. 
Uh, so from here on out, it will be season types of updates and in conversation, which is exciting. I'll be leaving this drops on Wednesday. So the following weekend, I will be flying out to Idaho to start, uh, to start my elk hunt, which is, which is super awesome. I think I'm ready to go. Uh, last weekend I spent some time out at my buddy's, uh, shop out at Bob and AJ's shop dialing in my, um, dialing in my sight tape. Cause I had to kind of refine that, uh, from the first time I dialed it in as a brand new bow. And it was, I think I mentioned it coming off some injuries and stuff like that. It, it seemed like I wasn't hundred percent dialed in. I was close, but it was just off enough where I wanted to go out and, you know, re, uh, you know, reconfigure my sight tape. I did that and I was just ever so slightly off. Um, but I'm glad I got that kind of taken care of. And so the next step after that was really, I spent some time shooting broadheads, making sure that my broadheads were going to fly, uh, true. So have done that this past week. I'm all good there. Uh, so basically from now till the end of the season, I'll basically only shoot uh, only shoot broadheads at this point. The good news was, is that the, the up and down of the, of, uh, of the broadheads where it was dead on with my field points, uh, my broadheads wanted to land just slightly right. Um, so accounted for that. Um, and now they're all dialed in and the field points and broadheads are pretty much landing next to each other. Only the field points land just slightly left of where I, um, of where my broadhead lands, but they're basically touching each other. So, and I've been shooting those out to like 50 yards. So feel really good. I don't think I'm going to have a shot that long, uh, in Idaho based on where we're hunting, probably 30 to 40 max is probably as far as I'm going to have, uh, to shoot. So dialed everything in at 60, been shooting consistently between 50 and 55 yards. Um, and then of course, shooting a little closer range just to make sure I'm all kind of good to go and feel comfortable even at, at closer distances. It's weird. Sometimes I shoot better at long distance than I do short distance. Um, I don't know if it's because mentally I feel like it's a chip shot. So I, my concentration just isn't quite there. Um, so I always like to shoot, you know, a, a variety of distances, whenever I'm kind of getting dialed in, uh, dial, dialed in for the season. But other than that, man, I've been looking at the weather forecast for when I get out there. It's been crazy hot, like 96, 98 degrees uh, where I'm going to be kind of going into. The nice thing was, though, is that, you, you know, the when you look at, like, whether you look at weather underground, like, whatever the case, whatever you're using for weather, you really get, like, the, the airport, you know, that might be close by or... Um, you know, like the city that's nearby or whatever. That's the, that's the weather that you often will get. So I've been using my Spartan Forge app, just kind of going to where my camp will actually be. And then looking at the weather based on, based on that. And it's able to kind of show me the difference between, you know, where Wilson lives and where we're going to be kind of taking off from to where we're actually going to be staying. And it's a bit cooler because we're, you know, in the mountains and in elevation and stuff like that. So fortunately, you know, the trends continues where the weather, the temperature seems to be dropping. And I think when I get there on Saturday, it'll be, um, actually I'm getting there Sunday. So on Saturday, I think it'll be 80. So it's kind of going down every day this coming week, which would be nice. So I can tolerate and I'm cool with, you know, being in the, uh, seventies, maybe even touching 80, but man, that 96, 98 degrees was just going to be brutal. So I'm glad that that stuff is kind of, uh, is, is going away for, um, for this trip. But otherwise, all my gear is ready to go. <laughs> when I'm done with this, I'm really actually going to kind of just organize everything, lay everything out, go through my checklist that I made, make sure I have everything uh, ready to roll, and then literally just start packing my my bag and stuff like that and just kind of getting everything ready. There are a few things I'll pick up when I get out there, like food, dehydrated food and stuff like that, that I wasn't going to fly and pay for the weight uh, of that to get that out there. I'm actually going to try to even record a podcast while I'm out there. I have a little setup that I can use. It's kind of a little mobile rig. Um, that's super tiny that can use my phone. So I'm going to try to, no promises, but I'm going to try to do a mountainside 
uh, podcast on the fly. I did actually, you guys listen to this any length of time, you know I'm a little bit of a, a coffee snob. And so I did preemptively send out Skull Brew coffee pour-over packs to Wilson uh, in advance of me getting there. That way that is all there and we'll actually have good coffee for the um, for the <laughs> for the hunts, which is uh, which is required in, in in my book anyway. So with that, I don't think I'm going to belabor this up front a whole lot, man. I'm just I'm super stoked to get the season started. Uh, fingers crossed that we uh, that we get into some elk. We have some camera intel. It's telling us that that's a, a high possibility that that will happen. But, you know, hopefully we'll uh, we'll come home with a, a filled tag and and a lot of cool stories, if, if, if nothing else. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. Have my good buddy, Greg Godfrey on. Uh, Greg, you, you guys know him. You love him. He is uh, one of the owners of Tethered. He's Mr. Tethered Man. Um, and we're basically just kind of having a, a chop up session. We haven't had a chance to catch up in a while. We ran into each other. Well, not ran into each other, but we saw each other at the Harrisburg Outdoor Show. It was the last time we really had a chance to catch up, um, spent some time just kind of chatting. Uh, they came over to the the Exodus house at one point to, to do a podcast, and we were able to catch up there as well, which was nice. But they got some, they got cool stuff happening at Tethered, as always. Um, they've got a cool thing that's going on uh, that they're that they're doing this year um, with some uh, with some hunters for, for 100 days. And so I think we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, we are going to announce the Tethered Saddle giveaway during this podcast. So uh, listen up if you entered uh, to see if you are the lucky winner. So with that, for those of you whose season has already kicked off, I hope things are going well. I hope you're filling tags. For those of you about to rock, we salute you. And uh, good luck this season. And we'll talk to you all soon. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand, Deer Hunting Pop. Man, words, they're hard today. Piodcast. Like, <laughs> I've got my good buddy, Mr. Greg Godfrey from Tethered. Uh, what's going on, man? Oh, just uh, sitting here. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Uh, getting ready for the season, actually. I built my my new arrows. I got a I got 24 arrows from day six, to so I had to build those. Nice. I did that yesterday. Just getting ready, man. Prepping. Got a new bow this year, so I'm just doing the stuff that everybody else is doing to get ready for the season. Yeah, I got a new bow too. It wasn't really planned. Uh, a buddy of mine owns a shop, and I happened to go out there just to kind of have him just tune me up for the season and stuff like that. And while I was there, he's like, "Hey, are you married to that bow?" And I was like, uh, "I was like, we don't, we're not. You know, we're on a first name basis, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's not love. I don't think." <laughs> Yeah, we Netflix and chill, but you know, I'm not I'm not sure if I want to pop a ring on the finger yet. Right, right. So, and he he um uh, he's never been a huge fan of Hoyt, but like the new Hoyts he had in, he was like, "Hey, shoot this." And so I shot it and I was like, "All right, done deal." And so I ended up with a the new carbon fiber. And so Ooh, I've been nice. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And so I've been Is that shooting the RX7 that, or Yeah, yeah, the RX7, 30-inch axle to axle. Um I was shooting the Matthews VXR28. So it was like that was a great bow. I loved that bow, but just this was one of those bows. As soon as he put it in my hand, it felt actually more familiar and better than the bow I had been shooting for two years. So I was kind of like, eh, all right. If it feels that good, I probably, it's probably worth making a switch. So, I like Hoyt bows. I shot Hoyt bows for a long time. I had the RX3, mm-hmm. I had the RX4, and then I shot a Hoyt Cybertech like way back. That's an old bow. Like I probably shot that bow for eight or nine years, way back in the day. I don't know. 20 years ago, something like that. Right. And I've shot the Matthews. I had the VXR. I had the V3. I'm kind of, I feel like a little bit of a, a dick, but like I kind of get lucky in that I get new bows pretty frequently now. So right. because we 
have relationships and whatever. So I'm shooting the uh, um, the Bowtech CP28 this year. Okay, nice. nice. Their new one that just came out. So I'm pretty excited to get that one dialed in and get it ready. My first trips to Nebraska this year. So I got to, I don't have much time left to dial it in. So, yeah, I'm in the same boat, man. I spent all this week. So I had a shoulder injury and a rib injury from jujitsu that kind of, when I got the bow and I set the sight tape, like it was good. But then after I healed up, I noticed like I was shooting just a little bit different. And so I was just slightly off. So I had to go back and reset my sight tape again. And so this past week has all been all about shooting broadheads, shooting broadheads, shooting broadheads, and just making sure I'm uh, I'm good to go. But that bow tech, man, that's that's cool. I uh I shot a bunch of bows last year, did a bow review video, and my favorite bow out of that whole bunch was I think it was the Bowtech Solution. I think it was last year's model that they came out with, or mm. uh, one of their new models. And that was actually the best shooting bow I thought I shot from the 2021 lineup. I think was was the year. Okay. I shot a Bowtech Insanity for several years. This would have been, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, love that bow. It was one of my, it's one of my favorite. I still have it, matter of fact. It's in my garage. Nice. Um, It's one of my favorite bows of all time. So I jumped at the opportunity to get a Bowtech this year because I have such strong feelings for for that Insanity. So if the CP28 ends up being half a good as good a bow as that that insanity I'm, i know i'm gonna love it right. it's actually used to the insanity or the invasion i can't remember which one but they were like year yeah anyway one it's, of those two it bows. started it started with an eye yeah yeah <laughs> and they were essentially the same bow like right. the, the, the next model was like i don't know five feet per second faster and had a different silencer on it you know right. it was like not to it but yeah anyway so big fan of Bowtech. I mean, to be honest, you can't really go wrong with any of these bows. I mean, we didn't even talk about like the elites and some of the other brands out there that maybe aren't quite as well known. But man, you just can't beat them. They're so good. They're all so fast and quiet. It's really just about what you like, in, yeah. in my opinion. It's like what what works for you, and and go that route. Right. That's. I was just gonna say that before, if you didn't say it, because it you're 100 percent right. All the flagship model bows at this point now are all splitting hairs. You know, they're all quiet. They're all dead in hand for the most part. You know, all super quick. They all give you options in terms of like axle to axle length and stuff like that. Whether you're a short guy, a tall guy, you know, whatever the or long arms, short arms, whatever. I know you and I are both in the kind of like the Tyrannosaurus Rex arm space. So yeah, we're I in hear, the Smurf draw length space. Yeah, yeah. I hear guys complain about string angle. I'm like, never had a problem. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, they're guys like yeah. I'm only shooting, you know, 312 feet per second this year when it's, you know, advertised. I'm like, bro, I don't get anywhere even close to that. I'm no. lucky to be in the 280s with my little short arms. That's exactly it. I think when I chronoed the last time, I was shooting slightly heavier arrows last year. And when I did that um, bow review, I did have a chrono machine with me and I was kind of testing like what my speed was so people could actually get a sense of like, if you have a, not a 32 inch draw or a 30 inch draw and you're not drawing 70 pounds, like, you know, here's a realistic kind of, you know, feet per second that you could look at. And I think I was shooting the fastest one was actually, I think my Matthews that I had. Um, and I want to say it was right around like 255 or 258 or something like that, you know? So, you know, definitely not touching that three. 12 range. No, I was in the forties, two forties when I was shooting. See, I had a Matthews that was the VXR, I believe, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, 26 and a half inch draw. I'm the so same. Yeah. Really short draw. 
And then I was doing, you know, the mega heavy arrows. I was mm. close to 700 grains. Oh, all wow. in. Okay. I was shooting like a 200 grain head with a hundred grain outsert. Wow. Um, those, those broadheads actually were from, from Troy, the ranch ferry gave mm. me those. We hunted together two years ago in North Dakota and I don't remember what I was shooting, but anyway, in camp, he like gave me a couple of those two blade Maasai heads. It was like 200 something grains and we sighted it in. In camp, I switched over to those in North Dakota, and like two days later, I shot a huge buck, which you guys can't see it on camera. I can see it. It's not doing it, but this is him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so I'm showing Clint the, the deer right now. I got the skull mount in my office. This is a nice buck. Yeah. So shot this deer like, I don't know, three days after Troy gave me those broadheads. And, That's a nice uh, enough buck, dude. I would just walk around with that. I would get like a frame pack, and anywhere I went, I would just strap it to the back and walk around with it. It's a great buck. It was a really cool story too. The way the way oh, the video was it. awesome too. Video was awesome. I shot that buck right in the throat. In hindsight, I was so jacked. You know, this is the first week of September, and I hadn't shot. You know, typically I like to. In the past, I don't really do it anymore because now I go somewhere fun the first week of September. But used to, I'd break my season in with like a few does or something early. Right. You know, get the kinks worked out. You know, get the nerves worked out a little bit, and then you're ready for to hunt antlers. But that was like the first. That was the first deer I shot that year, and came in. I was so nervous that something was going to go wrong, and so he gave me a straight ahead shot at I don't know 12, 14 yards, something like that. He was real close, and I just put it right on his throat, shot him right in the heart. I mean, he didn't go. He didn't go 40 yards and it was a, it was a murder scene. There's blood everywhere, but those big, heavy broadheads, you know, super razor sharp, like scary sharp, like cut you accidentally. If you're not careful, sharp, man, it makes a huge difference. Um, I went backwards this year. I'm not shooting quite as heavy anymore. I went down to, I still shoot that hundred grain outsert on the the front of my arrows, but I'm only shooting a hundred, 125 grain heads this year. Okay. Um, I, a little bit more manageable. I think my head, my 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 total arrow weight is slightly over 500 grains this year. Okay. And the reason I went down was just because I have such a short draw length. The the distance, pin gaps. the pin gap was getting it, it's kind of ridiculous for yeah. me. So if I was off just a little bit, that error was it was just magnified. So I, I went, I reduced my arrow weight down just to try to tighten that shot group up a little bit. Yeah. I switched arrows this year and my arrow weight is probably like 40 grains lighter than it was before. Yeah. And I saw a little bit of a difference. My pin gap wasn't unmanageable because I was probably only really shooting like right around 500 grains before. And now I'm probably like right around 460 something, I think is mm-hmm. where my arrows are at now. Um, and I'm having a little bit flatter trajectory so it's like my groups are a little tighter especially because i i shoot a single pin so i set my this is actually something i learned from brian broderick from from day six was yeah. uh we were just kind of talking about you know shooting single pin and especially for hunting whitetails like how he sets things up and with a single pin he'll set it at you know whatever the yardage happens to be whether it's 25 26 like a shoot a 30 yard target hold it on the bullseye or the center whatever you whatever thing you're aiming at and then you want that arrow to hit roughly three inches below that bullseye mark that you're trying to, that you're trying to hit whatever yardage that is for that pin at 30 yards, leave it there because now whenever you're closer and you have a high angle shot, like you want to hit just a little high cause you're going to have that angle that goes down. And then whenever you're shooting at a distance out around 30 yards, you're already accounting for that string creep where a, where a deer wants to drop. Cause they're going to drop about three inches. If you're at center mass, you're still in the vitals, even if they drop. And so 
it takes. So the whole thing was, was to take the guesswork out of it was like, take my brain out of it. And now all I ever have to do is just aim center mass. Like I'm aiming center lungs. Holy crap. Yeah. I have never thought of it like that. Yeah. I never did either until, I mean, I did a, whatever podcast that was with him last year, maybe even two years ago, he told me that. And I was like, dude, that's a game changer right there. I was like, it makes life so much easier where I'm not going, I'm not changing my dial and I'm not trying to say I need to hold a little high here or a little low here. It's like, I just always aim at the same spot. Pro tip. There you, not so pro tip. There you go. <laughs> I'm speechless. Yeah, I think you're gonna be shooting your bow this afternoon. <laughs> Maybe change That's it. That's genius. It yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It totally. It, it, it first I didn't understand it until he like really broke it down and explained it to me. And then after he did, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. I was like, because it just completely takes the guesswork yeah, out. I mean, with thirty yard shot, so even if you're, you know, like you said, three inches low, uh if he does drop, that gives you like six inches, six inches to play of, exactly. with. Because if he drops, you're still only three inches high. Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly. pretty smart. So it allows you to basically use that whole six inch kill window that you have on a whitetail. Yeah. Essentially. So, but yeah, so that's how I set that's how I set all my stuff up. And usually for me, it ends up being like a twenty six yard pin. Usually covers me out to out to thirty, you know, and anything in between. Because there's also that break point too. For me, it's usually always around like fifteen, fourteen yards where even at 20 sit with a 26 yard pin, I shoot pretty flat, like anything under, mm. under 15 or 14 yards where it's like, it's almost not noticeable. Yeah. That's super smart. I'm going to right now I've got the, uh, what do I, what do I have? I've got the, uh, Oh, what's the site with the purple housing? The purple uh, ring spot hog? No. Um, uh, it's not HHA, uh, is it? No, it's not HHA. It's one of the big ones. Oh crap. I can't remember. Anyway, I've got the three pin, the three pin site mm -hmm. with the with the bottom pin as my slider. That's always worked well for me. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe I'll maybe I'll screw around with that single pin. I don't uh, I don't really shoot long distances. I mean, the the farthest shot I've ever taken at a whitetail ever in my life, you know, I'm 41, been hunting since I was a teenager, is 34 yards. That's yeah. the longest shot I've ever taken at a whitetail. So. Uh, I, you know, it doesn't really matter if I have a 50, 60 yard pin. I just don't use them, you know, unless I was going out West and then that would be a totally different scenario. But right. typically the way I hunt, I'm usually in thick cover. I don't hunt a lot of field edges because I hunt mostly public land just because that's what I have access to. Yep. Not because I don't, don't want to hunt corn and bean fields. I just don't typically have a lot of options to do that. Right. So I'm typically in the cover and I typically can't shoot more than 15, 20 yards anyway. So uh, the 30 yard poke that was in Missouri about four years ago. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm really liking, I'm really liking that single pin setup. I, I might, uh, I might take the other two pins off and go with that for now. Yeah. It's uh it's funny. I switched to a single pin because I was having some target panic several years ago, you know, not, or I shouldn't say target panic. I was anticipating the shot and punching, punching things. And I, I switched to like a thumb release and that helped a little bit. And then the big thing that helped me was actually, switching to a single pin and shooting with both eyes open. Cause all of a sudden, like if I don't know why or whatever it was, but it was the ability to kind of see my periphery, like was it like did a, had a lot to do with calming me down. Like I did, I could see everything then like the, I didn't have like just this, this tiny sight picture I was focusing yeah, on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so those two things were like, 
you know, God sends for me. Like once I was started to do that, all of a sudden my shooting got way better. I got way more confident. I could shoot out the distance, you know, with, with a lot more confidence. Same as you though. It's, I shoot out the distance to practice just so shorter shots are, right. you know, more manageable. Um, but even this Idaho trip that I have coming up, it's Northern Idaho. So it's dense timber. So my furthest shot, maybe if we're in a meadow, it might be 40 yards, you know, tops, yeah. you know, but most likely in the timber, it's going to be something like 30 yards and under. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm like you, I still shoot long distances, you know, 50, 60 yards for practice, but I don't, I don't anticipate shooting at a critter at that distance. Yeah. No, no, not at all. So I mean, me personally, just because, you know, I'm not the greatest shot in the world. So I, uh, I, I kind of limit myself to, to those shorter distances. Yeah. I'm not Levi Morgan. So I ain't, I ain't taking that shot. No. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's no, the net, it, net of it. You know, the, as you get older, you know, you hit animals, you wound them. Like that is the absolute worst. It happened to me last year. I made what I thought was a really good shot on a, on a close broadside deer. And I only caught one lung and I don't know, man, that's just the worst. So yeah. just having that amplified out at 50, 60 yards where I, me personally, I'm not knocking guys that can do it. That's cool. You know, more power to you. Um, it's just not me. So I, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in wounding. I mean, I know nobody's interested. Nobody's in wounding, right. Right. But like nobody wants to do it. But I know that me personally, if I take a shot at 50 yards, there's a fair chance that I'm just going to wound it. And God, there's just nothing worse than sleeping on that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me not, too, it, it's even knowing my limitations of my gear based on my biometrics. <laughs> yeah. 26 and a half yeah, inch exactly. draw length. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. when I start taking a poke out to 50 and 60 yards, you know, how much ass do I have when I get down range, you know, especially like even like on an elk where you like, yeah, you have a bigger kill zone, but I still have to remember. It's like, I still only have a 26 and a half inch draw, you know what I mean? So if I hit something at 60 yards, you know, do I get enough penetration to actually kill it ethically or not? You know? And so yeah. that's, that's the other part for me too, is just, you know, I don't have a 30 inch draw and, you know, and able to sling something down range at 300 feet per second, you know, maybe mm -hmm. a little different story at that point, but I'm with you. So man, 100%. I know I know you uh you got caught in the rain with your boat the other day. So uh you got you got some boat prep going on or something like that? Is that what yeah, you Yeah, I got a I got a boat. Um I got a boat, you know, it's a just it's an aluminum boat, John boat. Um it's a nice one. It's a prodigy John boat, but it's it's a John boat. It's a do-all boat. So I'll mm -hmm. throw deer and turkey and you know, we'll fish out of it and all that stuff. So, yeah, I was I was doing a test ride with my wife we went out and took it out on the river just and took my two labs mm -hmm. so we got we got in the boat and went out on the river and uh got caught in the rain it was it was kind of a disaster <laughs> but that's okay that's what happens it, it happens sometimes nice. i'm going to uh i'm going to several states this this year where um boat access um could be a big deal yeah so i like having a boat i've always hunted out of my kayak for years and years and years but now, I, I typically find myself now with a camera guy, mm -hmm. and so a uh, a kayak just doesn't work. Yeah. So I I needed a boat, and I had a much smaller aluminum boat prior to the boat that I have now. It was a fourteen foot, and it was really narrow. It was like fourteen fourteen thirty six, I think mm -hmm. thirty six wide, or maybe it was forty eight wide. I don't remember, but it was narrow, small, didn't really handle. You know, two guys in there. If you if you threw a deer in there and you had a camera guy and me, it was just not real conducive to that. Right. And then, you know, I've got two teenage kids and two labs and my wife. So 
we couldn't really we couldn't all fit in there so it just wasn't really practical so i went to a slightly bigger boat and i got an 18 foot john boat so um we'll see we'll see how it shakes out i'm excited to get it bloody nice yeah i love me some boat access i've looked at some uh some small john boats because it's uh to your point it's like i like using my kayak you know that i have it's yeah. it's it's a pretty slick new canoe i've got like a little trolling motor on it so i don't have to do a whole new lot of paddling yeah yeah it's a great yep. it's a great piece but there have been some places where i've gone where i was like man i don't know if uh the water was a little bit too big put it that way to where <laughs> i was like i don't know that i'm feel real good about you know paddling or even trolling across this piece of water and then if I happen to throw a deer in here, I don't know if I'm real comfortable with as big as this water is, you know, cause you get to some of the stuff I manage around here isn't too bad, but I've been to a couple places where, um, well, when I was in Missouri with, uh, uh, Zach, whenever we were doing the film stuff, there was one spot yeah. we went to where there was some decent sized water and he had a boat with him. So we were using that. Yep. And, uh, I was just thinking to myself, man, if I was here solo and I just had my canoe or my kayak, I was like, I don't know that I would venture into some of the places that we went to because it was just, you know, you get some of those uh, choppy waters whenever you get that bigger open water, I guess is one way to kind of put it. You know, and we start to get yeah. a little bit of current and stuff like that it could get could get weird real quick. Well, and around here where I live in southeast Georgia um, in Savannah, our rivers are very tidal because mm. the tides here are bananas. You know, we we'll have two a day. We have two tides a day and it could be eight eight nine foot tide and right. so the rivers like i live right on the coast so the rivers are very tidal and you know a, a nice slow easy river three hours later when the tide switch switches it can be a raging rapid i mean it can be really bad i was up there i was up hunting fort stewart military installation and i went way up in this little uh river channel and i hunted that afternoon on this little island and then coming back out in the dark in my kayak by myself, nobody knew where I was in the river. The tide switched and it was going out and man, it was cooking. And I was like flying down this river and there was a blowdown across it that I knew was going to be a problem. Right. And coming up, you know, coming up river, I was able to kind of grab the tree and pull myself around under the branch and stuff. It was no big deal. I knew it was going to be a little sketchy coming out in the dark. But I didn't anticipate the river going so fast. Right. And it just pushed me right into that blowdown, turned me completely sideways in the dark, you know, by myself. <laughs> and it was sketchy. Like if it had tumped me over, thank God it didn't. But it was really close. And that kind of it kind of messed with my brain a little bit. Oh, I was man. like, man, if I'd have, if I'd have gone under here, there is a high likelihood that something really bad could have happened. Yeah. So Anyways, that screwed, that messed me up, man. I was like, man, I don't want to get in that situation ever again. Right. So that's when I bought my aluminum boat and started hunting out of that. So, right, yeah. yeah. Boats are fun. I like them. They're money pits, but they're fun. I like to have it when, when you want it, it's nice to have one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, being out in the middle of, of water in the dark in a kayak is a little unnerving to begin with, you know, just in general, at least, at least for me, you know, I had a situation last year where I was coming out of this one piece, um, and the weather was fine. Like when I went in, it was nice and calm. You know, it was hard to see because it was so foggy and stuff like that. And that was always kind of unnerving navigating. I can't really see. I'm just looking for like a marker somewhere that I'm going to point the boat toward. And that's it. Um, but then like the weather turned while I was hunting and it just like the temperature dropped, the wind started ripping. And like, there's a small bit of current in this one, one place, this one body of water. It kind of goes one way in the evenings and another way in the mornings. So just depends on like, I guess which dam they have open, I guess might be one way to uh, think about it. Um, and I went to come out and the wind was ripping so hard 
that I didn't think I was actually going to be able to make it out because like the wind was and I was going against the current and I was going against the wind and it just felt like I wasn't moving, you know? And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, man, I'm out in the middle of this water going like at that point I started thinking about if I can just get it to shore, you know, then I'll hike like however far I got to hike and I'll just dock the boat and I'll figure it out tomorrow. Uh, Cause I just really didn't think I was going to make it out, but yeah, it's, it can be sketchy. Yeah. And then of course you've got like all this gear on and stuff like that too. So if it dumps you, even with a life vest, you know what I mean? It's like your boots fill up or whatever. I usually wear waders cause I got to wade part of the way in to launch the boat. And then I have to wade to wherever I dock it to where I hunt, you know, cause I can't get all the way in. So I have to wade, do a little bit of wading. So I usually have waders on. I'm like, yeah, if I flip over and I fill my boots full of water, I was like, that's going to, that's going to be a bad scene real quick. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, not to mention possibly losing, you know, your camera gear, your backpack, your bow, your rifle, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. I did learn yeah. a lesson from a, from a, uh, Parker is, I actually like, uh, I have like real tether thin, everything down. Yeah. I tether everything down. So nothing, if it yep. does roll that at least everything stays with the boat, but, uh, yep. And, and I, and I always did the same thing in my kayak, but you never know though. At the same time, like you get, you flip it, like where I hunt, it gets caught in brush or something underneath the water. Like there's a million things that could go wrong. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I upgraded to a little bit bigger boat, but I still have my kayak. I've got an old town canoe or kayak right now that I like a lot, but nice. I pip, I typically just use that for fishing now. And yeah. then for hunting, I'll just use the John boat, use nice. the aluminum boat. Nice. Speaking of tethering things down, man, you guys had a big move for tethered this year, man. You guys have been crazy busy this year on the tethered front. Crazy busy. We moved from the headquarters, moved from Minnesota to to just south of Nashville, Tennessee, and that was busy, uh, super busy. We got Ernie, my business partner, moved. They they moved from Minnesota down to Tennessee, and a lot of the the fulfillment side of the business, they're all they're all moved there to Columbia. I'm still waiting to get there. Hopefully by December, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been busy, man. Changing locations is yeah, we've been super busy. Changing locations, new products, like doing the whole you know trade show circuit trying to fit in some hunting, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And then we had this safety recall on our, on our one sticks, which has been, you know, a huge process. It's, it's pretty frustrating, but you know, it is what it is. You, we're only going to have like, it's like a point zero. I don't remember the numbers. I'd have to ask Ernie, but it's less than 1% of mm-hmm. the sticks that are going to be actually, you know, affected and but we went ahead and decided to do them all just to be just to be super safe because you know we feel like that's the right way to do it yeah uh, it's going to cost like so much money and so many man hours but it's the right thing to do but it's super stressful and a lot of work uh you got to test every single one of them by hand so that's been a long process and so yeah, yeah super busy and we got a lot of stuff happening this fall so it's it's nice. a lot it's yeah. a lot. Well, I think that's start your why. own business. They said it'll be fun. It'll be fun. They said <laughs> you'll, yeah. get the, you'll get the hunt a lot. They said, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man. Well, I mean, I think dude, you know, you guys always do things the right way in that. I think that's what people, you know, 
in the in this community especially appreciate about what you guys do is that not only do you guys kind of forge ahead and kind of bring new things to market and you know make things that maybe were DIY in the past and maybe not comfortable or maybe not as effective you know you guys bring those things to to the market in a in a way that is useful and comfortable and kind of have all the considerations of a hunter in mind and then the other side of that is whenever you know you guys are hunters hunters too and so whenever something you know goes awry like this you know what you would want personally as a hunter is like in the past would be like man it'd be awesome if someone just made it right you know and that's what you guys exactly. do and i think that that's you know speaks volumes for what you guys do as a business you personally as well and then i think everyone in the community appreciates that and i think that's why they have the trust that they have in you guys well i think i think you're right uh I think anytime any company, you know, take tethered out of it and just any company that's that's innovating and pushing pushing to get products that are better, lighter, faster, stronger, I mean you're gonna run into issues. You you just we don't we it's just a just the nature of the business. Yeah. I mean, if we went out and wanted to make a three pound climbing stick that was steel and you know, made with big heavy components that would last for 3000 years, you know, cause yeah, we could do that, that, that exists, you know, yeah. but that's not bringing anything new to the market. That's been done. Those are already there. You can buy them right now. Yeah. So when you, when you push forward and you try to innovate and make things, you know, lighter, better, faster, stronger, sometimes things, sometimes bad stuff happens and you just got to deal with it. So all you can do is do your best and put the customer first and put the hunter first and think like what you just said, you know, what would I want if I was the the hunter who spent his hard earned dollars on this product? I would want that company to make it right. So that's yeah. kind of what that's our mindset is the same same way. So we just want to make it right. But anyway, that stuff happens. It's stressful, but that's the life of a business owner, I suppose. You got to take the good with the bad. Right. What's the uh, what's the cycle of the next uh, next products? I know you guys unveiled at, uh, and I know you and I had a chance to talk and catch up whenever we were at Harrisburg, but. What's the uh, plan for the uh, the new platform? Any uh, any so word on that? It's yeah, it's uh, there. We should have we should be able to get uh, first article components to the testing phase here. I'm hoping here in the next few weeks, uh, but I'm not 100 percent positive. the The COVID supply chain thing really kind of screwed us as far as our timing. We were mm -hmm. we were hoping to have those things. Well, we were on track to have those things in September ready to go but now it's looked like it's looking like it's going to be a little bit longer than that because we're going to take you know we're going to make sure everything's safe and tested and we do that anyway but right. we're going to be especially cautious with this new item since it is carbon fiber kind of never been done before so we're going to make sure to put it through its paces and everything before we launch it so it's been delayed but um it's going it 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 still looks really awesome. I mean, yeah. I can't wait to get this thing. That platform should be like two pounds. That's crazy. Which man. is ridiculous <laughs> for the small one. And then like three pounds for the big one, um, which is bananas. But yeah, it's it's still on track to to get launched this year. I just think it's going to get delayed, you know, maybe well, several weeks to even a month or so. Right. Um, so I'm fingers crossed we have it out in October. Um, we also got a pack that's coming out that's we've, Dude, I am awesome. so like, <laughs> dude, so I had, a uh, uh, Carl was on right after we all kind of got back from Harrisburg and stuff like that. He, he came on the show and we had a chance to catch up and we alluded to it in that he wasn't letting the cat out of the bag a whole lot uh, at the, at that point. I did have a chance of course to see it while we were all kind of together, uh, in, in Harrisburg 
and I am like frothing at the mouth to get that pack. Like that is like the one thing I am probably anticipating more than anything. I can live with most other stuff, right? Like, yeah, like I'm looking forward to the carbon platform coming out, but my predator platform works great. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, to have something that's a little bit lighter, would would love that. But the pack is like the one thing I think for saddle hunters, at least in my opinion, because I've searched every year. I've looked for something different to try to fit what I needed it to do. And it's like, it always, I get something that's either like, it does everything I need it to do, but it's still a little bit too big, you know, right? Or, man, this one's smaller and it's nice, but it doesn't quite do everything I need it to do, right? And so I'm mm-hmm. always giving something up. And whenever I was able to see the prototype you guys had, you know, at, at, at Harrisburg that Carl, that Carl had, I think, um, I looked at it and I, I remember I looked at it and it had like your patch on the back of it. And I was like, dude, what is that? <laughs> it was like, I was like, I don't care about anything else at the show. I don't give, like, don't give two shits about any other stuff that's going on. What is that thing? You know? Yeah. So talk to, uh, I mean, as much as you can talk about it, you know, what's, what's the, what's the plans for that? It's pretty slick, man. We, uh, we're making it in America, which we're super excited about. We, you know, we make our phantom saddles and our predators and stuff. We make all that stuff in America. Some of our, some of our, I guess, less expensive items and non, like safety stuff is made we make that stuff overseas but we we really are trying to bring as much of that as humanly possible back here stateside Mm -hmm. so we decided that we were going to make the pack stateside it's going to be expensive but there's just there's just no two ways about it you cannot have american workers making american quality products and then not have an american manufactured price tag right this is the way it is they're expensive i mean you look at any pack manufacturer out there that makes their stuff in America. Like, you know, you think about the Kafarus and the mystery ranches and those really high end packs, mm-hmm. they're all expensive. Yeah. The flip side is they'll last forever. Right. Yeah. And if they don't, then they make it right. You know, yeah. they fix it for you. So that's kind of the, that's the, that's the method we're going to use with the pack is make it in America, make it bomb proof. Um, but then also make it work for saddle hunters. And the thing I like about it, I've been hunting with, different versions of it for two seasons now this would be my third season using this pack Mm -hmm. and we've about got it to where what we do we've got it now to where it's just it's it's badass it's just awesome it it expands for late season if you want it um but then it's minimalist and small very small footprint in the tree um which is important for me now if you're the kind of guy that likes to take i know you're not clint but the folks listening like if you if you're the guy that needs you know, a big Nalgene bottle of water and you need several snacks and you like to have a couple different things as backups just in case and several extra layers just in case that you're probably not going to use. If you're a just in case kind of guy, it's probably in the pack for you. It's right. it's small in form and, and that's the way we wanted it. We wanted it to, to work, you know, to carry just what you needed and not a lot else. So that's kind of our ethos that tethered is, you know, minimalist with a purpose. So right that's how it's going to be but it also it looks really good um Dude, we're doing the prototype that coyote, that coyote brown good. it's it's nice man the ranger green color scheme with the coyote brown and the the olive dra- it's nice stuff man i really i really like it and it's bomb proof the stuff we're making it out of it's all super heavy duty stuff so it's gonna be fun I'm, yeah. I'm pretty excited to get it out in the world like i said i've been using it for this will be my third season so i'm a little spoiled but um yeah. people are gonna like it yeah, People the, are gonna like it. The prototype, dude. You could have passed that one off to me, and I would have been happy as a clam. Like I, I wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like so, I, I'm just, I'm stoked to see what you guys, uh, what you guys have in store for that as a, as a final, as a final version, because that has been 
not the bane of my existence. I don't want to over overstate it, but that's the one piece of my gear that while I have everything else dialed in, like my layering system that I've been using, like I have that all kind of dialed in. Like I, it's really probably no more than five or six pieces that I use consistently for that. You know what I mean? And I know when to use what pieces and when to add and when to take away. And, you know, and you're right, I'm a minimalist, but I do take usually like a puffy with me of some sort mm-hmm. that I can kind of compress down. And that's usually like the only thing I'll take with me because it's bomb proof. It's like if it's mm-hmm. windy or if it's gets super cold or if I get a little bit of precip, that thing takes care of like pretty much everything, you know, unless I'm going to be in yep. a downpour, then you need some rain gear, but that notwithstanding, you know, that's, that's the kind of like my, the piece that kind of solves like nine out of the 10 things I might encounter on a hunt from a weather standpoint, you know? And so other than that, it's like really slim camera arm, small camera, you know, and, uh, that, and, and a call, you know, a, a grunt tube. And that's about, that's about it, you know? Yeah. So Yeah. And packs are so personal. You know, I, I've got 20 of them. That's a lot. I don't have 20 of them. I've got seven or eight of them in my garage right now that I don't use, but I keep them at, you know, mystery ranch and I don't have any Kafaru stuff anymore. I sold all that, but um, Mystery Ranch, Badlands, you know, some some real tree stuff from like Walmart packs and stuff like that. I've got them all, and they all work in you know, in different scenarios. They're just so personal, you know. Everybody yeah. has their own thing, their own setup, in, in the way that they like it. So selfishly, we made our pack to fit the way that we wanted to use it. So right. that'll work for some people and it won't work for others, but that's okay. You know, right. we, we just wanted to make the best that we could for w- the way that we like to use it. Right. Yeah. And you're, that's you're point- really what we do with all of our stuff. We just make it selfishly. We're like, <laughs> yeah, we'll make it work for us and it'll probably work for others too. But you know, we really want it to work for us. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, you're so right about, you know, the, the quality of stuff that when you buy, it's like, yeah, when you have that American made, tag, you know, has that price tag with it. But if it's something that you're going to use long-term, cause I make this argument with like most of my stuff, cause I'm sure you probably have gotten this in the past too. Cause I'll, I'll do a podcast and I'll talk about some gear and then I'll, I'll, I'll inevitably get a comment somewhere that's like, must be nice, you know, like all this expensive gear or whatever. Right. And that inevitably happens. And my point is, and I don't respond to most of them, but if I do, my point usually is, is yeah, this piece of gear that I'm talking about, it may have been expensive, but I've had it for six seasons, you know? And it's like, and if you look at amortizing that cost over the number of years, I'm actually going to use the thing. Like it becomes not all that expensive, you know what I mean? In terms of like, you know, it's lifetime, you know? And, uh, I just went through the pack thing for the Western hunt where I know I'm going to be doing a Western hunt for the next foreseeable future. I've got like a points plan that I work with a company that helps me manage my points in my application so I can hunt the West every year for a different species in perpetuity that every year I'll be able to draw for something. And, uh, and so this year was really about acquiring all the gear that I'm going to need to use for like the next 10 years. And so mm-hmm. got the XO mountain pack that was super expensive, got a good tent, you know what I mean? And like that pack's awesome. It was expensive, but that thing is bomb proof. I mean that thing, mm-hmm. and it's a small company, you know, that it's kind of mom and pop still to where it's like, if something happens, like you just hit them up, call them and they'll, send it to us. We'll take care of it. Or we'll send you something to get you through while we fix this thing, you know? Yeah. So, but that's the, that's the touch you get whenever you, when you buy the high end stuff, when you buy the good stuff, buy once, cry once. I love it. I've told, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hunters that, you know, buy the best gear that you can afford and then use the crap out of it and beat it up. Use it, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't baby it. Um, but buy once, cry once. That's a true thing. You know, buy the mm-hmm. best stuff you can get and it'll last. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of uh, hunters and, and and being four hunters, man, you guys did a, a super killer thing this year uh, for hunters. 
um, you know, and uh, I'm assuming you guys are going to document it, but you've, uh, I've been on this bus before. I think you've probably been on this bus before too, but now you actually have a real bus <laughs> that signifies that bus we've all been on, which is the struggle bus. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that, man. Like I know you alluded to it when you and I just had sidebar conversations, whether it was via text or a call or when we were talking at Harrisburg or whatever, that you just kind of alluded to an idea of, of having this, uh, this excursion going on for like common folk, if you will. Right. And I finally saw it come to fruition and I kind of, I hearkened back to those previous conversations we had and I was like, oh man, he killed this one. <laughs> like such a cool idea. So talk to me how the struggle bus came about and what that whole thing is. It's pretty exciting, man. I hope it works. We've put a ton of work and resources in into it, uh, but you, you kind of nailed it. it. We're calling it the struggle bus. It's a 1980 Bluebird school bus that has been converted into a semi-functional RV. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of a piece. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be surprised if it makes it the whole trip around the country. Like I have planned for these guys, but yeah, we just thought it happened. La- we, the conversation happened last started last season with my interns. We had some, you know, young, young guys, 18 year old, right out of high school. And they just enjoyed being the camera guys for us so much. They, they loved it. You know, it was, and, and I tried to put myself in that situation, you know, imagine I just graduated high school and I'm, you know, a hunting fanatic. Like that's the thing that I care about most in the world. And what if you gave that guy an opportunity to spend an entire hunting season on the road doing nothing but focusing on hunting wherever the state is, you know, live in a bus, hunt i was like man that would be amazing so mm-hmm. we figured out a way to do it and so we're sending five five kids i call them kids they're they're young men 19 year old kids and we're putting them on the struggle bus that bluebird piece of crap and they're gonna live in it they're gonna hunt in it they're gonna film everything i'm sure they're gonna break down on the side of the road in bfe mississippi at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning and it's gonna be absolutely <laughs> miserable and they're gonna stink and the beds aren't going to be very comfortable and it's going to be hard and muddy and wet, but Hey, they're going to remember this for their entire lives. So yeah. we're putting five kids on the bus and we're sending them the first week of September to hunt and they're not going home until Thanksgiving. So they're going to live on the bus and I've got a whole series of challenges and States for them to go to. And I don't know how it's going to work. I mean, I don't, as far as I know, nobody's ever really done anything like this before. So we're just kind of learning as we go, but we got five kids that absolutely love to hunt. Like they are great guys. I've spent a lot of time with them and they're great hunters, great attitudes. They, they want to have fun. They're good kids. Good. You know, they, they're, they're just good people. And so we're going to, we're going to send them on that kind of an all expense paid, hunting dream season i guess and we're calling it the tagged out tour and they're gonna film it and you know we're gonna help them edit it and but it's essentially them they're essentially doing the whole thing now do they have camera guys with them are they self-filming no they're all it's all self-filming well they're gonna they they rotate so the way it works is oh okay so there's five um, five is on purpose so you have two hunters two cameramen and then one guy that we're calling the camp post. Mm-hmm. So the two hunters are obviously hunting and the cameramen are obviously filming the hunt. And then the guy whose whose time it is to be the camp host, you know, he's back at camp for that for that leg of the trip. And, you know, he's doing food prep, camp chores, gear stuff. If somebody's got to run to the grocery store because they run out of milk like that, he's going to do that. Right. That kind of thing. So and then 
like let's say they go to I'm just going to pull a state that they're not going to to, to Utah, right? So right. they go to Utah, and the mission there is to tag out and to fill a couple of challenges there. It might be like tag out from the ground or use it get a get a trail cam photo of a buck before you kill them. Like that might be one of the challenges. But there will be a, right. a series of little challenges, and then the two guys will be the two hunters will be trying to tag out. So that might take two days, might take five days. But right. as soon as they tag out then they go to the next spot and the positions rotate. So okay. the, the hunters become the cameraman and the camp, the camp host, he jumps into another slot, either camera guy, or he'll probably go into a hunter spot, but right. uh, that's how it works. So they'll, they'll knock out one leg and then they'll go to the next leg and kind of repeat the process until the season ends. Nice. So do they only leave a state once they've tagged out or do they have like a certain allotted amount of time at each state? Yeah, it'll be, you're, they're trying to tag out. Okay. And when I say tag out, I mean any legal animal. Right. So okay. we're not like they don't have to shoot a Pope and Young buck. You right. know, if they want to shoot a spike or a forky or a doe, like that counts, you right. know, and maybe the first few days, I would imagine they're probably going to treat it like any out of state hunt. Like, you know, maybe you hold out for the first couple of days for a gagger. Right. But then once you've been there four or five days and you're struggling, you know, you might tag that doe. Right. So that's kind of how we're going to do it. I'll, I won't keep them in a spot too long. I'm going to give them, you know, maybe like a week is right. kind of like my max, my max out point when I'll tell them, Hey, you guys suck. You, you didn't tag next, out. <laughs> next guys are up. Right? Right, right. It might be something like that, but at the same time, you know, tag out a six point, man, we're, it's there, we're there to have fun and, yeah. and to create a memory for these guys, not necessarily look for, you know, a Pope and young in every single state. Now, if it's November the 7th and you're in Wisconsin, okay, you know, right. don't shoot a spike on the second morning. Wait right. for, you know, a wall hanger to come by. Right. But that's going to be their call. You know, whatever makes them happy is that's what they need to shoot. Then the flip side is that's their food because. Oh, wow. That, that, that brings a whole, paid. that's a whole different element there. It's a whole different element, right? <laughs> they're not getting paid. They're volunteers. Now we are giving them. We're going to pay them like a food stipend so right. they can at least get ramen noodles and enough stuff to Calories stay alive. To like, right. <laughs> yeah. But the idea is that you shoot a doe and, you know, that feeds the bus for two weeks. And then you better kill something else because the freezer is going to get empty. So the bus has got it. We bought a chest freezer for the bus. So and we bought them all the uh, stuff they need to process the deer. So they got a vacuum sealer. They got a grinder. Um, so they'll be able to, you know, process the deer, get it into, you know, dinner size cuts and then get it frozen. So they have everything they need to take care of themselves from a food perspective. And, you know, they'll have some of the challenges in the States are to catch, catch fish, you know, too. Okay. So they'll be able to catch fish. Um, you know, if they want to shoot some squirrels, that's fine too. You know, if they right. want to, if they want biscuits and squirrel gravy, like that's fine. You just got to go kill the squirrels. Kind right. Of thing. Man, it's, so this that's is awesome. The way we're treating it. It's it's like the original real world from MTV meets alone. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that's kind of the way we were thinking about it. Like Survivor with the different challenges because some of the challenges are going to be fun, right? Um, so like kind of like that, yeah. Like Survivor meets alone meets the real world meets a few different things, and right. Uh, it could be terrible. I have no idea. Right. Um, well, I'm we're looking, gonna, I'm we're looking gonna, forward to it. We're going to work hard at it to try right. to make it cool for everyone. And and I know the guys are super excited about it. Um, today is Sunday as we're recording this podcast. And then they're, they're leaving on – what day are they leaving? Wednesday, they're leaving on 
Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, they're leaving in four days. Nice. So or three days. So I got to get my butt up to Tennessee and uh, <laughs> they're leaving out of the tethered headquarters there. Yeah. Nice. So I got to get up there. And um, the first thing that they're doing, which they don't know this, when will this this doesn't air like tomorrow or anything? No, it? It'll it'll actually air the day that they leave. Wednesday. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So the so the way we're establishing the first order is we're gonna. It, Matthews was really awesome. Matthews gave them gave every kid a new bow. Oh, nice. Um, so that was last week. They got their new Matthews bows, and so they went home and they're getting sighted in and all that stuff. So, uh, right before they leave, we got a target. We're gonna set up at forty yards, and everybody's gonna get a three shot group. And wherever you rank in that competition is where you will what position you'll find yourself in awesome. for the first state, which since it is airing, then I can go ahead and say it. The first state they're going to is Nebraska. Oh, nice. So, and so there's a chance, you know, at killing a velvet buck in yeah. Nebraska. So want to have a really good three shot group or else you're going to get stuck as the camp host for that first. <laughs> for the, state. For you're velvet gonna week. Have, <laughs> you're going to have to watch everybody else hunt that velvet buck. So oh, that's awesome. Uh, I hope they're ready. Right. That's awesome. So speaking of uh, hunt plans, uh, first off, I can't wait to watch it, man. It's going to be an awesome series and I'm sure it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be killer. Just like the shenanigans that'll go on. Like I kind of envision it being almost like a tour bus, you know, like dudes being on tour and there's always kind of crazy stuff that happens. So I'm looking forward to it. You remember when you were 19. Oh man. Yeah. Now imagine getting crammed into a 30 foot school bus with four other 19 year olds. Like the, uh, the propensity for mayhem is going to be high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what are you, uh, what are your plans this fall, man? I know last year you had, you were burning it at both ends as far as like travel hunts and stuff like that. So what are your, what are your plans for this, uh, this upcoming fall as far as hunts, hunts you have going on? So I'm going to Nebraska starting right. off the season there. And then, um, let's see what else am I doing in September? That's my September. Um, I'll hunt, I'll just hunt Nebraska and Georgia here at home. Uh, in September, in October, I'm I'm doing another Sika, a Sika deer hunt. Oh, nice! In Maryland, okay, that was awesome. I went last year, and I went with Jared, um, and he killed an absolute giant Sika yeah, stag, like almost state record Sika stag. Well, like, I didn't realize it was that big. I knew it was a I knew it was a oh, hammer, but geez, yeah, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, when the guy that we were hunting with on his property, he he basically told Jared, he said, "You may as well just quit." hunting for Sika's because he said you'll never kill to put it in perspective that's like shooting a 200 inch buck your first your first arrow like it's nuts so i'm going back i didn't get one last year um so i'm i'm going back after Sika's uh the middle of october that's when they rut Mm -hmm. so and they scream like elk man it's awesome uh that's a super fun hunt so i'm excited about that that. hunt just because of like the i had a buddy i have a buddy who hunts them he's from maryland and he's talked about them he's like it's like hunting mini elk He's like, it's really like a really cool hunt. It's exactly what it is. They squeal just like, I mean, that's what they call it, a whine or a bugle. They call it a bugle, I suppose, but it sounds like a little squeal. Right. Um, and it's it's nuts, man. It's it's cool. It's a really, really fun hunt. They're very aggressive. They're very loud. So it's a it's a cool hunt. That's I'm looking forward to that one. And then I'll be hunting the rut this year in North Dakota and maybe either Kentucky or Indiana. I got to figure that out. But so in November I'll be in North Dakota and then one of those two States and what, what, uh, uh, then I'll late season stuff in Ohio. Right. Why, uh, why, uh, North Dakota for a rut? That's kind of an interesting place to go for rut. It is. So the, 
there's there's a, we got a friend named Kurt who has a ton of land up up there in North Dakota. He's a farmer, and last year he let us come and bow hunt it. And you can't, as a non-resident, it's very, very difficult to get a rifle tag, if not impossible, um, unless you go with an outfitter. Well, Kurt has enough in his farm. He has enough land to where he gets landowner tags. Okay. So he's he's letting me use one of his landowner tags as a North Dakota rifle tag, which like is it's unobtainium for non-residents in North Dakota. And he has some giants. I'm talking giants. Okay. Last year when we were bow hunting, Jared saw he saw a couple of booners. Oh wow. And we've had we had two other booners on camera that just we we couldn't hunt them, but they're, you know, we we were only hunted at early season, so they didn't show up. So Right. I'm pretty excited about that hunt. That's going to yeah. be fun. And I've hunted in Kentucky the last two two falls in November, so I I might go back there. Or I've got an opportunity. I've got a friend of mine that lives in Indiana that uh, I hunted on. I hunted with him years and years ago. I actually killed my biggest buck ever on his farm, Hmm. like 2005 maybe. So going on 20 years ago, and I haven't been back. So I might go back up there. He invited me up this year, so I might do some of that. And the Kentucky hunt's all public land, so I might be doing that. I don't know. We'll just see how it shakes out. But then I got to deal with the bus too, so I'm I'm going to be working a lot this fall, making sure the bus guys have everything they need and all that right, stuff. So right. we'll see how it shakes out. How nice, about man. you, man? I have a uh, Idaho here as we sit here and, and talk. I'll be leaving a week from today to go to Idaho. Mm. Um, that's a backcountry, you know, pack in everything on your back elk hunt um, in northern Idaho. So I'm stoked for that. We actually have some elk located at the moment. I have a buddy who lives out there, so he's been scouting. I sent him a bunch of cameras out. He hung those. And so we have uh, a lead on one really good bull that we know where he's spending time. And it's not far away from a herd of cows that we also kind of located. And so we're kind of camping on that same ridge, but probably like, I don't know, it might be a half mile down the ridge from where those elk are wanting to bed and spend time. That way we can kind of get up the morning. There's a couple of drainages that come off that too. So we can just kind of get up the morning walk a couple hundred yards and rip bugles and, and we should be able to hear anything that's in any of the, any one of those drainages. And then we'll make a plan from there. It might be, you know, if, if everything's kind of quiet, we'll head back to the truck and then start driving and trying to bugle drainages and just try to locate something to go in and, and kill something. So that's kind of the plan. We're kind of flexible at the moment. And then PA, I've got some good deer in the Northern part of PA. Um, nothing locally that's getting me real excited quite yet. Uh, but Northern PA, I have a couple I mean, I don't know. There's probably last last camera check that we did. I want to say there's probably six or seven shooters that oh, wow. that I know of. Um, and there's one that hasn't shown back up. He didn't show last year until like late October. Um, and I know he's alive because I saw him in late December on trail camera after he dropped his left side. So he made it through gun season and all that stuff, and he made it. And last year he was probably like 160 inches, and he was a hammer. Um, so. And this is like the mountains, you know, so it's like, you know, like straight up mountain buck hunting. So it's gnarly terrain and, and, and hard to find deer. There's not necessarily a ton, ton of deer, but I've managed to find some pockets where there's some good deer. So that's that. And then I'm headed back to Kansas for redemption just to try to fill a tag. Cause I had a couple close calls last year and just wasn't able to seal the deal. And, uh, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm going back. And I drew this year with no points. Like I didn't even have a point because I was like, my plan was honestly was either try to get Kansas with no points. And if I didn't get that, then I was probably going to go 
to the last place I was at in Missouri when I went to Missouri there two years ago. And that was kind of because it's over the counter. So I was like, I'll just go there if I don't draw Kansas. But I drew Kansas and I drew the unit that I wanted. Uh, so I'm going back exactly where I was at last year because now I have a better idea of like what's going on and what to kind of look for. That was the hardest part. Like Chad killed that hammer. It was like day six or day seven, something like that. Um, but it really took us until like mid trip until we figured out how to kind of survey the land and understand what we were looking for to know whether deer were going to move or not. So I'm going to go right back to where I had probably the hunt of the last three days. Cause I had an encounter with 160 inch deer and then one that was probably like in the mid one fifties and all of them were within bow range. I just couldn't get a shot. So, and they were all on the ground. So mm. taking that, uh, I guess that, uh, white tail adrenaline jaron scheffler approach gonna try to navajo yep. one you know we're gonna try to just run one you down go. you know well i i tagged out in kansas last year my first trip to kansas on the ground mm-hmm. accidentally on the ground i was climbing a tree when i heard the buck making a rub he was just destroying a tree and i was one stick high and i saw him and i was like there he is and so <laughs> i got down real fast got behind the tree and he came right, right to me and i shot him at 10 yards if that on the ground, right wow. in the, right in the chest, head on again, he was staring right at me and I shot him right in the yeah. chest. And it it's wild, awesome. man. Wild. I, I love that. It's Kansas has become, I mean, I've only hunted it once, but of all the places I've hunted, it's probably been my favorite, like even over Iowa. Now so I the like, thing about Kansas is it feels like there could be a show enough just in any little woodlot. It, yeah. it, that's how it felt to me when I was there. Mm-hmm. It felt like there were biggins everywhere, which is not a common feeling yeah. for hunting. Yeah. It, for me, it was so, I think it might've been Chad and those guys, when I was on their show, asked me this question, like what my favorite place to hunt was. And I said, for the actual hunting, I prefer Kansas for the deer behavior. I prefer Iowa. I was like, because Kansas is just one of those places where you have to be, if you're not mobile, you're really kind of missing out to a degree. Right. Because like you can, if you want, you can sit in a you know, a, a, a bottom somewhere like a creek bottom or a draw or whatever, you can plant yourself there for seven days. And if you do, I'm sure something decent will walk by you. Right. Or you can just glass and drive and, and locate a deer and then just try to go cut them off, you know, and that's what mm-hmm. I was doing. And that was just awesome. Like being able to move all the time. It was just killer. However, I was like, Iowa, I saw deer behavior that I'd never seen before because the age structure is so right, you know, and I was seeing a lot of bucks. And so I was really getting, like a master's class on deer behavior because I was seeing so many mature deer in a short period of time. It would have taken me five years to see that in Pennsylvania, but I saw, you know, as many mature bucks in that two week trip as I would see in five years in PA. And so just watching deer and how they acted and how they approached each other, how they made rubs, how they made scrapes. And just like when they would walk in, how they would walk in, how they would posture, just all that stuff. And I was like, and that was just bananas. I was like, it was like watching a hunting TV show play out in front of me pretty much every sit you know, um, and they weren't always giants, but it was like, it'd be a three and a half year old buck. And then maybe you'd see a four year old over here and it would spook this little one. Then this guy would posture up and he'd rub a tree. It was just, it was just like the coolest thing, you know? Um, but from a hunting perspective, I would probably hunt Kansas four times to one time I would hunt Iowa. Like in terms of, I would go back year after year after year to Kansas and I'm fine with hunting Iowa every, every four years. I'll, I'll go hunt Kansas and I just have a ball doing that. Yeah, I draw my my Iowa tag next season. I'm gonna I could have tr- drawn it this year. I had four points, so okay. I probably could have drawn it this year. But with all the stuff we had happening, I just wanted to be. I didn't draw this year on purpose because I want to be able to. You know, you like you said, you only go once every five years. So yeah. 
and I've never been. This will be my first Iowa bow tag. So I'm going to do it next year, and when I can really focus on it, I can go early. I can go up and scout. Mm-hmm. And go hang cameras, do all the stuff that I really want to do to kind of maximize my chances. Go shed hunt, man. That was what I did. I went out. Mar- yeah, I started I'm going to turkey hunting. Yeah. I'm going to. I'll buy a turkey tag and go up there and try to, you know, scout slash turkey hunt mm-hmm. in the spring. And you know, so that's what I'm going to do. That's nice. my plan for Iowa next year. I'm going to try to draw it again next year. I'll have, I'll have four points. We'll see if I if I can draw or not because I know some. I think it might have been the year I went. I think Andy had four points and didn't draw or maybe he had five points and didn't draw or something like that well i've got five in my pocket you have so, so you should be good i'll draw with five so i pretty much can go wherever i want to go yeah nice that's awesome well I'll, we'll have to talk offline where you're thinking of going because i have some intel for you of, of a certain zone you know i can help send it yeah <laughs> send it so uh so man last two questions dude you've been you've been doing the saddle hunting thing for a long time and i credit you for getting me into it um in your videos, especially when I started early on, um, you know, you're kind of, you're to blame for all of this for me, I think is the, is the way we can maybe put it. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> um, but you've used all kinds of stuff, everything from like DIY to like commercial products and stuff like that. And so I was just always curious, you know, if, what is the one thing that you've, you've picked up in the past where you were like, man, this is great. And then when you actually went to use it, you were like, yeah, this thing just isn't working out or didn't work out how you thought it was going to or whatever the case was. What is that one thing that sticks out in your mind where you were like so jazzed about and then you look back in hindsight, you're like, yeah, that really wasn't all that great. So for me, it's got to be, it's a combo. It's, I'm I'm about to piss a lot of people off, but this (laughs) is just, this is just my own personal opinion. It, I'm sure it works hundred percent great for others. It just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, one of my best friends in the world, Carl Kasuth, he swears by one sticking and I know you <laughs> like it too. That's all it's I just, use. <laughs> it's just not for me. And I have a good reason why I have, okay. well, I've really, I have two good reasons why. Um, and it, and it's really a two part thing that I didn't like. And it, even though it's kind of the same thing. So spurs climbing spurs, I used them forever. And then, you know, I'd rappel out of the tree and that was great. And I kind of put that in the same vein as the one stick because it's kind of use them very similarly, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to carry a bunch of gear. It's one item that does everything for you. And then you repel out. So kind of the same thing. Um, I don't use either of those two things anymore. For the spurs, it was, it's, well, first part, first reason why is because I usually hunt with the camera guy now, mm-hmm. which is not for most people. So that's why I say this is my own personal opinion doesn't really apply to most people but i i'm almost always hunting with the camera guy and one sticking slash spurs with cameras it just doesn't work for for uh, for several reasons but mm-hmm. that's why uh and then the second reason why which would apply to people that are in my environment is i find myself a lot of time hunting around water muddy gross areas especially here in southeast georgia and because i'm so used to that uh hunting swamps and whatnot here i find that i tend to migrate to that site that type of terrain even when i'm in missouri or michigan or wisconsin i tend and i think most hunters probably do this is you tend to kind of go where you're comfortable Mm -hmm. so i tend to hunt around water a lot around muddy gross areas a lot and that 40 foot of rappel rope inadvertently every single time i'll pull that thing out and it'll fall into a big giant mud puddle and then I'm wrapping that rope up on my <laughs> on my arm, 40 foot of soaking wet, muddy rope, and then stuffing it back in my pack. And I was like, man, this is this is for the birds. Now, 
then I went and I hunted with Carl in Missouri, and it's beautiful oak ridge tops with no water, no mud. It's just like perfect terrain. And there, you know, it's no big deal. You drop your rope, it's whatever. You just roll it up, coil it up, and you're you're done. But that was for me. So it's a very personal reason why I don't like that type of climbing method. But not knocking it for anybody else. If you don't hunt the way that I hunt, I'm I'm sure Clint, you're a pro with it, and I know Carl's a pro with it, and I know the thousands of other guys that are hunting that way. You guys are all better hunters than me, so that's why <laughs> I, I had to put my my caveat at the beginning that I was about to make people mad because I don't like it. It's not for me, but I can see the value of it for other people. Right? Yeah. It's a. It was one of those things where I didn't think I was going to like it. To be honest, like I really kind of relegated it to. If I'm traveling somewhere and I know I'm going to be moving a lot, then I'll use it yeah. because I don't want to carry an extra stick if I don't have to. And I can basically get into any tree at any height. Like it just solves a lot of problems that might, that might come up. And I was kind of also relegating it to mainly like rut time frame where I can get away with more movement and stuff like that as I'm yep. climbing because deer are a little stupider at that time. And I'm not really hunting specifically in and around beds necessarily. You know yep. what I mean? So I'm a little further away from like the bet, like a bedding area and stuff like that. So I can get away with some more stuff. And then it all kind of went out the window. Cause it was, it was like the second hunt of the, the year I used it. And I was like, man, I ain't ever carrying another stick with me. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is it, you know, but I have had it get soaking wet. Like from, it wasn't dropping it, but it was, you know, a rainy day and you're carrying around 40 foot of, for me, I carry only uh, a little over 30, I think I want to say like 32 or 33 foot of rope. Okay. Um, but still it got soaking wet. And so it just, it's heavy, you know, and just a pain in the butt to deal with or whatever. And then I'm always afraid my mad rock is going to slip whenever the rope gets like super soaking mm -hmm. wet, even though I know that it won't, but it's just like the mental kind of aspect of it where I'm like, this repel thing seemed real great whenever this rope was dry. Not so much right yeah. now, you know, but yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But anyway, I endured through it and that's my, my preferred way to climb. So, the, and, the, and it seems like, you know, to be fair, it seems like most guys, once they go all in on the one stick, they're they're completely sold. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was back, you know, before the one stick craze really took off. I was a hardcore spur guy. Mm -hmm. Like I would take my little three pound uh, carbon fiber spurs over anything. I could be up any tree. And, you know, the problem is you get to areas where it's not legal. Yeah. You and have so to then kind of you have the regulations to, and figure out what you can use. Yeah. And then you're, then you're stuck switching climbing methods. Like, oh, well, I can't hunt, you know, whatever. I'll make up a state. I can't hunt Illinois because in Illinois, you know, you can't use those. So I'd have to switch to sticks and then, you know, your system's all messed up. And, and your pack's so all messed that, up now too because you have everything layered in your pack. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was so, why I kind of switched wholeheartedly to that because I was like, now I can just deal with one system. It works everywhere I yep. want to go and I'm, and I'm good to go. Um, what is your what is your favorite piece of gear that you can't go hunting without? Saddle gear excluded. So remove all the saddle stuff because we know that that's like required. So outside of that, what is like the one piece of gear that if you leave home without it, you will turn around and go get it? Yeah, that, I, if, if we're going to take away saddles and climbing, I would say my, my, my Patagonia windproof puffy jacket. I know there's a lot of manufacturers that make a similar item. I just happen to have Patagonia from way back in the day and when I was in Colorado doing a lot of ultralight hack, uh, backpacking and mm -hmm. whatnot. So I have this Patagonia Nano Puff. It's windproof, super warm. It's a great layering piece. It's it's you know it's water resistant. It's not waterproof, but you get caught in a light shower, that jacket's fine. That 
a, a really well-made windproof puffy is tough to beat. You talked mm. about it earlier. It really does a lot of things, man. It's your rain gear. It's your insulator. It's your wind blocker. Um, it's a great layering piece for when it gets really cold. I like to wear a heated vest when it mm. gets really cold. Um, and, and you know, you put a good insulator on top of that heated vest, man, you can hunt in the teens and, and really cold temperatures without having to wear a big, bulky, heavy jacket. So that puffy, you know, especially in the late season, mid to late season, that's tough to beat, man. I, I use the crap out of mine and, um, I could probably name three or four other pieces that are really, really versatile, but that is that puffy jacket is tough to beat, man. That's a, that's a do all thing that I carry with me. I mean, pretty much even in September, like when I go to Nebraska, the nights could get chilly, you know, in the forties and fifties, maybe just depending on what happens. Like the first year I went to North Dakota, it was September 1st. And at night it was below freezing. It was, it was 31 degrees at night and I had the puffy so that it kind of, you know, I'll just carry that puffy with me from day one through the end of December or January when I quit hunting. That's just it, man. That's, and I'm, I'm right there with you. You and I kind of nerded it out about puffies when we were at Harrisburg yep. talking, you know, cause it's just, I'm, I'm the same way as you where that thing goes in my kit from the opening day to, unless it's like crazy, crazy hot and then I'm not going to carry it with me. But typically it's like, if I'm going in in the morning, even earlier in the season, there's a little nip in the air and I don't want to wear like like a hoodie and a lo- another long sleeve or like a bunch of layers. It's like, I'll literally just put on a light shirt and throw that on and I'll use that to get in. And once I get in and I get climbed in, I'll just stuff it away and then I'm done. I'm only taking one other article with me. You that's know? right. And that's the thing that it does for me. Cause like, just like you said, like it, that thing gets me through the entire season. Cause I will use it earlier in the year when it gets nippy, but during even during rut and when you get into late season, like my, my setup is really just like a base layer, a fanatic hoodie. And then, that puffy if it's cold enough and then a stratus vest and mm-hmm. and i'll mix and match those layers from september all the way through until the end of january and that's that's the only thing i'll wear and that's it you know so yeah it's it's certainly i'm a, a believer material. you know and there's a lot of brands that make them you know sitka makes a great one first mm-hmm. light just came out with a new puffy vest this year there's lots of other camo brands that make them i mean fleet makes a great puffy vest i big fan of that brand big fan of a lot of brands out there first yeah. like I, I wear almost all first light camo I, I like a lot of their stuff the only issue i have with first light is the windproof layers mm-hmm. um you know we can nerd out about camo and whatnot but i uh i i like a my puffy has to be windproof so yeah. if you're in the market for a good puffy vest there's lots of brands that make them like i said but make sure it's got i, I recommend um prima loft yeah. i recommend synthetic so the prima loft gold or the new prima loft stuff that they just came out with i think it's called like aerogel or something like mm-hmm. that i can't remember but get a really 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 good uh uh, synthetic insulation don't get down only because down even though they have hydrophobic down now it's still not as good when wet as as a synthetic insulation like like a uh, primaloft so i recommend a windproof layer and a good synthetic insulation like primaloft and then a good dwr treating on the yeah. outside so it's water repellent it's not it's not rain gear but you know a light mist or snow or something like that you're gonna It'll be get just you fine through. yeah yeah, and then other than that, I don't care what brand is on it. I don't care if it's Mountain Hardware or Patagonia or Sitka or First Light or Walmart. It doesn't matter. Right. As long as it's windproof, has really good insulation and that DWR coating. Um, I bought mine used. 
like nice. in 2011 when I was stationed in Fort Carson. It's Patagonia Nano Puff. I bought it on eBay for like a hundred bucks, and I've had that thing forever. Actually, I just replaced it last year. I bought a, a new one, but it's the exact same jacket. Right. I just bought it in a hunter friendly color because mine was like Smurf blue, <laughs> and so I always had to layer other stuff on top right. of it because I, I didn't want to wear that as an outer layer. Right. But so last year I bought a green one, like an olive green. Right. But it's the same thing. It's Patagonia Nano Puff. I just I'm a believer in that particular one. It works for me, and I've sold a lot of them to other hunters in, yeah. in demonstrating it. But like yours that you showed me in Harrisburg, the one that Sitka makes is really nice. First Light makes that new one. Um, again, not, not, I, I don't, I'm not trying to pitch any brand to anybody, just right. whatever works for you, but make sure it has those, those few things. And it's, it's an awesome piece. Nice. Well, we have one last piece of housekeeping, man. This is maybe the most important. We completely buried the lead and waited to the very end, you know, bad podcast host, but we have an announcement to make because tethered was kind enough to, uh, to do a saddle giveaway on the podcast, the a menace saddle, the ropes, the beaners, all the things you would need for a saddle from a saddle kit perspective to get you rocking and rolling for this season. And everyone wrote in reviews and ratings and stuff like that for the podcast. So thank you for everyone who did that to enter the, uh, enter the drawing. And we have a final name in the winter, the winter. Yeah. I started the podcast with, with bad words and not being able to speak. And now I'm ending the same way I started. So that's, that's good. Everything comes full circle, but Greg yeah. is going to do the honors and make the announcement of the, uh, of the winner of the giveaway. Yeah. So, uh, thanks everyone for hooking Clint up those reviews and everything I know helps make true from the stand. It helps with all of his stuff for making his podcast visible, which helps Hunter. So that's a good thing. So thanks for everybody for writing in those comments and reviews and, uh, Mr. Swift. First name, Nick, you are the winner, Nick Swift. You got it. So Clint will be hooking you up with all that gear. And if you have any sort of questions, comments, concerns that Clint can't answer, which I know he'll be able to, but just on a flyer, that's something out of left field that he can't answer for you, Nick, you can always hit me up or anybody else at tethered. And we can make sure that you have everything that you need to uh, get swinging in a tree this year. Awesome. I appreciate you guys, man. Nick, I will get a hold of you via IG. We'll get your uh, mailing address and all that good information so we can get stuff uh, sent out to you. Greg, I appreciate you coming on, brother, and spending your Sunday afternoon with me. I will let you get going back in the... What's the temperature in Georgia right now? Oh, it's hot. Uh, It's 90-something. Better you than me, man. Can't do that. It's always hot. (laughs) Nice, man. Well, thanks for for jumping on, buddy, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Clint. See ya. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.